And we looked at how this great commission, which we just read in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, that's the great commission. It was Christ's last command, and he gave it to the church at Jerusalem. And in that message, we looked at how they became inward focused, even though he had told them to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. They just stayed right there in Jerusalem, and, and God was blessing them immensely, um, but they wasn't fulfilling the commission that they had been given by him. Then we find ourselves in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, and we find where he gives them this command again, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both. And that word both in the original, what that gives uh, the idea of is simultaneously, not Jerusalem first, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth. It means Jerusalem, and, and while Jerusalem, also Judea. And while Jerusalem and Judea, also Samaria. And while Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, also simultaneously the uttermost part of the earth. That's the meaning there. <coughs> and we looked at those two texts <coughs> relatively in depth, and we don't have time for that this morning. But if you remember, we looked at how Jerusalem failed to fulfill that commission and not that God ceased to bless them, but it seemed as if to some extent, one degree or the other, God took his hand off of them and put his hand on the church at Antioch. And Antioch is the church that first sent out uh, those first two missionaries and established New Testament churches around the known world at that time and how that those missionaries would return back and give report to the church at Antioch as to the work that God was using them to accomplish according to his will to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, <clears throat> having said that, what we want to do is back up and look at when we when we preach those two messages to you, we had a uh, we had in view missions away from our home field, whether they be stateside, such as Brother Ken up in the Dakotas, or whether it be um, foreign missions, Brother Sarah Paule or our Filipino missionaries. That was what was in view the first two messages that we looked at these texts. But what's in view this morning is our mission field here. And I think oftentimes, and, and I'm not saying this is the case with you personally or with us as a church, but oftentimes um, when we think of missions, we think that missions is all, it will always be away from here. Uh, this is home and, and missions take place away from home. Um, and that's not the case. When he gave the Great Commission, he was speaking to believers in Jerusalem. And where was the first place that he mentioned? That was Jerusalem. And so if we, uh, if we make a true and concerted effort to do our part in spreading the gospel around the world to see to it that people in India... Mongolia, China, the Philippines, North Africa, in that 1040 window, in those places like that, hear the gospel, but yet we don't do everything that we can to get the gospel around our home mission field. We have yet to fulfill the great commission as given to us by the Lord. And so, <clears throat> that being said, um, I want to look at our mission field. Now, one of the things that we'll soon be doing uh, shortly after the first of the year, uh, we're, we're busy working, getting those things together now, but we will start actively um, trying to reach our mission field. 
Let me define our mission field at this point. We're looking at it as Pontotoc County. That's, that's where I was born and raised. Some of you wouldn't. We appreciate you getting here as soon as you could. Um, but Pontotoc County is where we meet as a church body. And so it's our intent, it's our goal, yes, to evangelize the world, yes, to take the gospel to the heathen. But listen, you don't have to cross the waters to get to heathen. Uh, there's plenty of them right here. And so you and I, in that respect, need to view ourselves as missionaries. We are missionaries. We have the gospel. We know Jesus Christ. He's given us the great commission, and so it's our part. Yes, we do send money to foreign missionaries to do what we can't do there, but we do what we can right here. Some of you men, let me explain it this way. Now, if I need, I, I'm, I'm not a mechanic like Brother Jeff is. If I need an engine rebuilt, I've got to pay somebody. I just can't do it. Uh, but if I need a tire changed, I'm not going to pay somebody to do that. I can do that myself. I could save that money and Santa could take it shopping. Say amen, ladies. And so <coughs> that's our approach to missions. What we can't do, I can't go to India. I can't go to Israel or wherever we would support a missionary. But I can go across the street. I can go to the west end or the east end or the north or the south end of this county. I can do that. And so it's incumbent upon me. It falls upon me to do that. So as missionaries, we're going to look at ourselves this morning as missionaries to Pontotoc County, Mississippi. Now, if any missionary has a burden on his heart for a particular field, the first thing he does is a survey trip. He goes to that place. He surveys it. He looks it over. He looks at it methodically. He finds out all the finite details about the population in that place. And so this may seem a little odd to you, but that's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you some things about our county that most of us live in, that all of us worship in. Um, I'm not going to take a, a thousand questions, but I just, I don't want to ask anybody in here got any clue how many people is in Pontotoc County. Miss Angie, you can't say, you probably know pretty close. Does anybody know roughly how many people? 31,389. 31,389. Is Now, that's a little bit of an old stat. It's the, the newest I could get is from July 1 of last year, 22, so almost a year and a half old. But that's what the population was at that time, 31,389. <coughs> that was a 1,432-person increase in a 12-year period since 2010. Our population's increased 1,432, which is almost a 5% increase. Now, demographics, people are always interested in demographic. That means out of that 31,389 people, what are they? Uh, what's those 31,000 people made of? Well, almost 75%, 74.8% are white. 16.2% are black. 7.6% are Hispanic, and 1.4% are other. Some other race or nationality. Now, when you go to share the gospel with folks, and somebody may throw a songbook at me here, I'll dodge it, and if I catch it, I'll throw it back at you. Uh, but when you go to spread the gospel, none of that makes any difference. Um, when Hispanic people or black people or Asian people or white people die and go to hell, the temperature is the same for all of them. And so you try to get the gospel 
to everybody. If they possess a soul, you make an attempt to get the gospel to them. Um, out of this population, 32.7% of our population in this county is under 18 years of age, the majority of those being between the ages of 5 and 18 years old. Um, the majority of our county, 51.8%, almost 52%, are between the ages of 18 and 65. And then we have 15.5% that are 65 years of age and older. You say, what does all that mean? It means you need to get to know your county. If you're going to try to reach somebody, listen, um, and I don't have a lot of time. I don't need to chase rabbits. But if somebody's starting a business in a town, they learn this stuff. They learn it. You figure out who you're trying to reach. Not that we change the gospel according to a man's race or his economic status or his age, but you learn about them. And you learn who you're going to be approaching, who you're going to be trying to reach, reach, who you're going to be trying to give the gospel to. Let's go on through these numbers as quickly as we can. Out of these 31,389 souls that call Pontotoc County home, they constitute 11,394 households. That's an average of 2.75 people per home. So every driveway you drove by on your way to church this morning, statistically, there's 2.75 people that live there, 2.75. Um, I need somebody to get a calculator ready because I'm going to ask you a question in a minute that I meant to tally up this morning, and I didn't, but I'm going to ask you in just a moment what that is. Now, I'm going to give you more numbers as we go. This is not written down, but um, I'm, I'm numbers-oriented. I'm a numbers nerd. I'm a numbers geek. I love numbers. And so when the Lord put this in our heart, the first thing I'd done is I said, what is, what is doable for us? And I said, surely, in short order, we could canvas a two-mile radius around Charity Baptist Church. If you made Charity Baptist Church center of a circle and, and made a two-mile radius around it, surely we could cover that <clears throat> quickly. And so I drove down every single road within a two-mile radius of this church and counted every single driveway. That's a numbers nerd, isn't it, Miss Angie? Anybody want to guess how many, how many houses there are within a two-mile radius of this church? 1,803. Brother Hunter, do 1,803 times 2.75. Tell us how many souls live within a two-mile radius of this church. 4,958, basically 5,000 souls within a two-mile radius of this church. And that's not the whole county. That's just a two-mile radius of this church. Now, back to our county-wide numbers. <coughs> I told you there were 11,394 households. 92% of them are living in the same place they were living a year ago. So they're basically a stationary people. Only 8% have been transient. They might not have moved outside of the county. They have, may have moved to a different place inside the county. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Y'all hang with me. 67.2% of our 31,389 people identified themselves as religious. They identified themselves as religious. That's a broad term that we're going to come back to. So that means that 32.8% of Pontotoc County said, I'm not religious. 32.8%, basically one out of three people 
in this county said, I'm not religious at all. That's 10,295 people say, I'm not religious at all. Now, most people look at that and say, that's terrible. And from one view, it is terrible. But from the view that we need to approach it from, we need to say, that's opportunity. You've got one out of three people, one out of every three people that you bump into or that you knock on their door here, they'll readily tell you, I'm not religious at all. And they're a lot easier to reach than this other 67.2% that identifies as being religious in some way or another. Religious people are really hard to get saved. You've got over 10,000 people here sitting here saying, I don't identify as anything. Could you imagine, and I know we're not selling the gospel, and if it was for sale, nobody could afford it. But in terms that we can understand, could you imagine, Hunter, if you was a refrigerator salesman and moved into a town of 31,000 people and one out of every three of them didn't own a refrigerator? Business looks pretty good, doesn't it? That's the way you have to view that. You say, yeah, but Brother Ronnie, every one of those people are not going to believe. Every one of those 10,295 people that said I'm not religious in Pontotoc County, they're not going to believe. I know that. I know that a majority of them is not going to believe. They're not. The majority of those will never believe. But let me ask you this. What if 1% of them believed? What if 1% of them came under Holy Ghost conviction like you did and believed the gospel like you did and repented of their sin like you did because somebody cared for their soul like somebody did for you? What would that equate to? 1% of those people would be 103 souls. Would that be worth trying for? Absolutely it would. 103 souls is important. One soul is important. 103 is definitely important. But then you have that remaining 67.2% of religious people. Now, it didn't say born-again people. It just said religious people. That's people that worship trees and the moon and sun and people that identify with some sort of a church but yet live like the devil himself all week long, go to church on Easter and Christmas, and you, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not being ugly or judgmental, but I don't know who's saved or not, but Jesus did say you judge a tree by the fruit it bears. And I've been living here all of my life except for just a couple of brief years, and I can assure you that two-thirds of our county is not saved. They're not saved. Um, in view of that, now this is not hardcore data, but I would say that it's... it's um, Probably very optimistic data. R.G. Lee, anybody familiar with that name? R.G. Lee, he was the pastor there at Bellevue before Adrian Rogers. R.G. Lee said this probably four or five decades ago. And he wasn't speaking of religious people in general. He was speaking of Southern Baptists, which would probably be um, have a higher percentage of saved people than just religious people would. He said this of Southern Baptist because he was a, a Southern Baptist pastor. It would be true of independent or any other denomination, I'm sure. Here's what he said. R.G. Lee said, I'm convinced that at least 80% of our Southern Baptist church role is lost, unregenerate, not born again, on their way to hell. 
That's what R.G. Lee said. And I think that he was being very conservative probably in that number. That number could be much higher than that. If R.G. Lee is right and me and any preacher that you know that's worth his salt would probably tell you the same thing that I just said, that it's probably much higher than 80% lost church membership across the board, just in general terms. If, if we wanted to use that as a, as a number to work off of, here's what you would find. Remember, we had 67.2% of our population of 31,389 that said, I'm religious. If 80% of those, as R.G. Lee assumed, are unregenerate, never been saved, that number comes to 21,093 people. Or, excuse me, 80% 80, 80 of the 21,093 people equals 18,874 religious but lost people. There was 21,093, two-thirds of our population says, I am religious. But if 80% of those are lost, that leaves us with 16,874 religious lost souls. And we can't forget that we had, what was our number, 10,295, one-third of our county that right up front said, I'm not, I'm not religious at all. So, you take our 16,874, that's our 80% of our religious people. You add that with our 10,295, it said, I'm not religious at all. Our total number of probable lost souls, stay with me, I don't want you to glaze over for all these numbers. I'm just giving you a survey of our county. Our total number of probable or likely lost souls in Pontotoc County, Mississippi, would be in the neighborhood of 27,169, 86.5% of your county. That means 87 out of every 100 people you meet in Walmart, the grocery store, the post office, at work, at church, or anywhere else, likely to be lost. Looking better and better for that refrigerator salesman, isn't it, Brother Hunter? 87%, 87 out of 100. I hear the objection raised again. Yeah, but Brother Ronnie, all of those folk are not going to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're not going to be born again. They're going to reject you. We know that. When Jesus Christ walked the face of this earth and preached, the majority rejected him. But he preached. We have to give it to all of them. Among all of them, some are going to believe. The same sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. And I can't identify which person is clay and which person is wax. So I give the gospel to every single one of them. And some of them will believe. And, and you often hear people say, if one of them believes, it's worth it. I'm going to make a statement you've probably never heard before. If none of them believe, it's worth it. What do you mean if none of them believe it's worth it? Because we have a great commission. He commanded us to go and to preach the gospel, to give them the He didn't say you ring their ear and make them believe. He said you give them the gospel and I take care of the rest. 
It's worth it if not one soul believes. He sent Isaiah into his ministry and told him up front, son, they're never going to have a pastor appreciation day. Nobody's ever going to pat you on the back. Not one soul's going to be saved. How long did Noah preach while he built that ark? Not one soul was saved, but yet he followed the command of God. God's given us a great commission. And he said, you go and you give it to them. You let me deal with the heart. If they're going to get saved, I'm the one that will save them. You give them the gospel. God could have chose to do it a different way. He could have had a donkey go and speak to him. Would have done a better job than me. He's had a donkey speak to people before. He could have had a rock speak to him. He's, he's had that happen. He, he could have had an angel speak to him. But he chose men. And so it's incumbent upon us to fulfill the great commission to our mission field. <clears throat> now we said 27,169 roughly. You said all of them's not going to be saved. I said, I know that. But just thinking out loud, what if? What if 1% of them were to be saved? Well, that'd be 272 people. That'd be worth doing it. What if half of 1% got saved? That's 136. What if a quarter of 1% got saved? That's 68 souls. What, what if one-eighth of 1%? Of those people got saved, that's 34. That's 34. That's 0.0125, I believe, something along those lines. I can tell you in more recognizable terms what it means. It means starting at the back on each side, you can put a sole on each pew till you get to the front, and then you're going to put two on each front pew. That's what it means if you could reach one-eighth of 1% 1 of the lost people in your mission field. That's what it means. It leaves us with two questions, and it leaves us with six minutes of time, too, so we've got to move quickly. How do we do that? That's the first obvious question, right? How do we do that? Well, the first thing we do is pray. It has to be by prayer. Don't turn there, but you can mark, mark it down. Go back and read it for yourself. But Psalms 127 and 1 says this in the first portion of that verse. They that build the house labor in vain, lest the Lord build it. Now, you can come up with every strategy known to man to try to reach the lost. But if you don't saturate it in prayer and approach it understanding that you're going to work like everything's up to you, but pray like everything's up to God and know that if there's any increase that it'll be God-given, it will produce no real fruit. So that's the first thing. It has to be bathed. It has to be, <coughs> it has to be saturated in prayer. And I'd like to say more, but I need to move along. Um, it's going to take participation. Now, I've committed in my heart that if Jesus tarries and he lets me live, and stay right here, I'm going to knock on 1,803 doors within a two-mile perimeter of this church if I have to do it by myself, but I could get it done a whole lot quicker if you'd help me. Do you, let's just take a quick poll in here. How many people believe that the return of Christ is imminent? Now, the word imminent means any minute. He could come back any minute. Don't be shy. If you believe that, raise your hand. Doesn't that put an urgency about what we're talking about? I mean, Jesus could come back before Sunday school's over. And, and there you've got these people that have not heard. And you say, boy, that's bad for them. Boy, that's bad for us. Right. 
we haven't reached out to them. I want to I turn quickly over there to Acts chapter um, 20 and read those verses for you real quick that I wanted to share with you before we finish up. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 21. I've got a new Bible laying in front of me this morning. These pages don't turn easily at all. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 20 and 21 and then we'll move to two other verses. Acts 20 verse 20 and 21. Now the background here the Apostle Paul is just passing by Ephesus. You know, he started the church at Ephesus on one of his missionary journeys, fulfilling the Great Commission. And <clears throat> he's making haste to get back to Jerusalem before Pentecost. He doesn't have time to go to Ephesus, but he stops in Miletus, sends for the elders at Ephesus, and they're to come and meet him, and that's what's taking place. Verse 20 and 21, he's speaking to those Ephesian elders, says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 26. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. This is Paul speaking to those Ephesian elders, and he spent a brief period of time there in Ephesus, um, but yet in that brief window of time that he was there a couple years, I think I, I'm due to be corrected on that, um, but in that short period of time that he was at Ephesus, he was able to make this bold statement in verse 26 and 7, I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men. What makes him pure from their blood? For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I've given you the gospel. The opposite side of that coin to me is these folk that are on my mission field that I'm not making the effort that I can make to reach them, uh, that I'm guilty. If Christ returns, they die before I put the gospel in their hand that I'm guilty. I haven't done what I should have done. And I don't want to stand before God in that condition. I do not want to stand before God in that condition now. We said, how do we do it? We do it through prayer. We do it through participation. The more you have, the quicker you can get the gospel in every hand. And patience. Patience. It takes time. The New Testament gives us the laws of sowing and reaping. You don't sow seed today and reap harvest today. You sow and then it takes sunshine and it takes water and it takes time and fertility and all of those things. But the harvest comes. The harvest comes. There's so much I'd like to say that we don't have time to say. First question was, how do we do it? Second and last question is, why do we do it? Why do we do it? We do it first for our Savior's glory. We do it for his glory. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about Charity Baptist Church. It's not even about that sinner out there. It's about the glory and honor of God. Christ hung and died on a cross and he commanded me and you to get this glorious gospel around the world and that's not just to the four far, far corners. It's right here in 38863. The gospel is to be preached. It's for our Savior's glory. It's for the sinner's good. For obvious reason, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You didn't get saved until you heard the word of God. 
And then lastly, it's for the saints' growth. A lot of times we get that, I call it stained glass window syndrome. We get so inner focused. After all, I'm saved. My wife's saved. My children's saved. My son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws are saved. The grandbabies are saved. What do I care? We don't articulate it that way. We don't think and speak it that way, but our actions say that. But the reality is it's for your growth. You're never going to be the mature Christian that you could be until you fulfill the command of God upon your life to be active in the Great Commission. And that has to do with right here in your home mission field. God's got more for you. If, if you are willing, God has more for you than what you have right now. And he can do a lot for you through uh, putting a burden in your heart to reach people round about you <coughs> in your area. Has that horn went off back there? Anybody heard it? Okay. <laughs> There's your sign. I'm, we got to go. I'm going to share about one or two things with you. How are we going to do this? How do we do this, preacher? I'll be glad to talk to you in length about it. I've taught my wife about it until she won't say it, but she's so tired of hearing. Talk to her. She can tell you all about it. But I think about it constantly, how to execute this. Did you know that we can put the gospel in every mailbox in this county for like 15 cents a piece? That's exactly right. I know it sounds unbelievable, but I'm talking about the printed pamphlet, pretty color pamphlet. Brother Bill Goins, a friend of mine in Georgia, can print it. Uh, you can put the little QR code on it with our pastor giving the gospel, inviting people to church. I mean, 15 cents or less per mailbox. And that goes into the mailboxes that have a do not trespass signs to the ones that have beware of dog signs to the ones that are in gated communities. It goes to the, because you know, if we're knocking on doors, you can't go past that no trespassing sign. But them people with no trespassing signs still go to their mailbox. And we can put it in our mailbox. There's a certain number of mail, mail routes, mail carrier routes in this county. We can mail it route by route by route. And we can saturate a route, give them one or two mail outs, and then we can go knock doors in that route. It's doable. Within a year's time, I promise you this, within a year's time, if you'll help me, if you'll come along beside me and help me, I'll promise you, from January 1 of 24 to the last day of that year, we will see to it that every house in this county has a clear presentation of the gospel in their hand. Amen. And I believe if you'll come along beside me and help me, this two-mile radius around our church with these 1,803 homes, what we say, Brother Hunter, about 5,000 souls, we can put a knock on every one of those doors. And say, my, my name is Brother Ronnie Owen. I'm with Charity Baptist Church. We want you to know we care about you. We love you and your family. Give them information. Get them to the house of God. Get them the gospel. I could go on and on and on. If you're interested in it, come talk to me. I'll talk to you till bedtime tonight. Thank y'all. <laughs>